so many people say that they're Christians. Some have Jesus in their lives like a charm, a merit badge, or a necklace around their neck. Is that what Jesus died for, though? Does the gospel make that extreme of a difference between a believer and an unbeliever? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local. We're in the Wyoming Valley, the Wilkes-Barre area, and we're looking to start small groups. We want to talk about spiritual matters together and to look at the Bible together What does the Bible say about my life? How do I change the way I'm living? How do I follow after Jesus? We're trying to be disciples ourselves, and we want to make other people disciples of Jesus Christ according to the Bible. What does the Bible say? You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and to follow us for any new videos. Uh, There's going to be teaching and preaching content on there as well as some other things. And you can find us on YouTube as well. If you go to our YouTube page, be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos so that you can continue to get the teachings uh, that we would offer here for you and help you along in your spiritual journey. Please also look for God's Resistance podcasts on your favorite podcasting platform because those are previous recorded radio uh, segments and there's teachings there that can also help you along in your journey. And if you would like someone to have a Bible study with, you want to pray with somebody, you want to talk to somebody, then please contact me at at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give me a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Last week, we went through 1 John chapter 2. This week, we're going to be looking into 1 John chapter three. So you consider yourself a seeker of truth. You listen to so many people talk. They tell you what the right way is and you want truth. You want God. You want reality. The problem is, where do you find it? I just want to let you know that there's good news. You don't have to go find some guru and travel the world to find what's truth. You can go to the objective truth, which is the Bible. And I say objective, meaning it's not what do you feel, your truth and my truth. Truth is by nature exclusive. And so if we look at some some truth that's outside of us, that's objective. And that's what the Bible is, a truth that's outside of us that we didn't have the influence over. It's there. It's written down. It's the revealed will and word of God. This chapter three of First John shows the clear dividing line from God's perspective so that we can be certain and not confused about what it means to be a Christian, about what happens when somebody is a follower of Jesus. What does this life look like? We need to know that in an age of deception. So without any further delay, let's start in 1 John chapter 3. The first three verses uh, bring out this point that we as Christians, we are not to be in likeness to the world and the flesh, but we are to be in likeness to Jesus Christ himself. The first verse says, Behold, 
What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. So there's a distinct difference between the believer and the unbeliever. The believer and those that are sold out to this world or are just kind of going along with the current of the world. He said, behold what manner of love the fathers bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And he said that the world doesn't know the true believer. That doesn't mean that you may not know a true believer. It means that the world doesn't understand what a true believer is. They don't know that experience. They don't know that righteousness that Christ has put within the heart, that radical change. They have no knowledge of that because they don't know God and they have just kind of gone along with the current of the world or maybe they've purposely sold themselves out to the world. So he's saying there is a distinct difference. People don't even know or understand what a real Christian is, what a real Christian life is like if they're, if they're just kind of living for this world. Second verse, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, that is Jesus himself, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there's a whole lot of things that we may not be able to comprehend in our human mind, but we know this one thing. When Jesus appears, we're going to be like him. Whatever that means, we're going to be like him. And we know that of many things, it means that we're going to be pure. We're going to be holy. We're going to be altogether different and separate from the world and the world's values. We're going to have Christ's righteousness inside of our own hearts. And he said in the third verse, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. What hope? He's talking about the hope of Jesus returning and us seeing him and being like him when we see him as he is. So this is totally different from the Gnostics, which were teaching at that time, that Basically, their teachings were, were making it okay to live a wicked and a sinful life because, after all, we live in this evil human body, which, by the way, is not evil according to the Bible, but it is a vehicle for us to be tempted to do evil. They were, their teaching was rather defiling people, making them more depraved and more wicked and doing these things that they know are wrong. Instead of that, we see, even just from these first three verses, that the gospel and God's truth is set to purify us from filthiness, to purify us from sin. So that's awesome right there in the beginning, the first three verses. Let's look at the fourth verse here. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now the Gnostics said that they had no sin. They didn't have sins that needed to be forgiven. They didn't have any sins that they needed the sacrifice and the death and blood of Christ for. They said they had no sins, but John is saying, listen, if somebody sins, then they're transgressing God's law and they're at odds with God. That's the simple teaching that he's bringing about. They taught that they couldn't help but sin because they were in this, hum this human flesh, which was in and of itself evil. But John is saying, if you are sinning, you are not righteous. You are not right with God. You are, in fact, a transgressor, a rebel against God. And he's trying to make this very clear to the Christians of that first century, but also this still stands for us in these days. The fifth verse, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sins. This is Jesus. So if Jesus was manifested to take away sin, and sin 
is the transgression of God's law, a Christian is one who no longer transgresses God's law. Jesus was manifested to take away sin, and if we say that we're a follower of Christ, he is after us to take the sin out of our lives. That's what he's after. That's what he's came here for, to take away sin. And they said, and John said of him, that in Christ there is no sin. And so if Christ is without sin, and we're, said, we're told earlier that we're to be like him, then you and I, if we're Christians, are to be living without sin. The sixth verse, whosoever abideth in him, in Christ, sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. You say, living without sin is not what the Bible teaches. That's impossible. What is God doing? Mocking us? No, he's not mocking us. That is the salvation of Christ. There are whole denominations, there's teachers and things that say that we can't live without sin. But if you just read this Bible simply at face value for what it says, there is a life of victory over sin that we don't have to live in sin anymore. So you say living without sin, that can't be what the Bible teaches. That's impossible. Well, if we say we abide in Christ, then we don't sin according to this verse. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. If we say, or excuse me, if we sin willfully, this verse tells us that we don't even know the real Christ. We have no intimate personal knowledge with him at all if we're living in, in a sinful life. There's so many people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet if you were to look at what they do in any given day, their life tells on them. Their life says that they're not a Christian. And we need to be so careful. That's why John is so frank and explicit here, because eternity is at stake. Where you and I will spend eternity is at stake. This life that we're living in right now is a probationary period. We only have one chance to make it, one chance to do that which is right and gain ourselves or get ourselves ready for eternity in heaven. Otherwise, we'll be found to be naked, wanting. We're going to be surprised that it's coming and we're going to be scared to death when we see him. But that's why John's being so explicit and frank, because God doesn't want anyone to perish and end up in hell. So verse 7, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. There was, and there still is, a great deception about what the true salvation of God is and how it affects our living. A lot of things that, I mean, in, in past and right now, there are systems of doctrines, there's teachings, there's denominations, traditions that try to give us the picture that it is much more complicated and that basically if you didn't go to um, theological training, you didn't go to a seminary, you didn't study about this, then the untrained mind can't understand what God's word says and we have to interpret this complicated thing to you so that you can uh, fully understand it and be just what God wants you to be. However, John says it very simply. He says, if you're living righteously in your actions, then you're a righteous person. If you're not living righteously, then you are not righteous. Jesus is righteous, so his followers are as well. That is not teaching that you and I, if we just do good, then we'll be accepted of God in heaven. What it's telling us is that if we've really and truly been saved, we're going to be fulfilling the law of God because he has cleansed our hearts. He has made us new creatures. And now the life of Christ is being lived through us. 
It's not that we work to get our way to heaven. It's that because heaven has entered inside of our souls by being saved and being radically transformed, that then our faith is lived out in practical reality. So he's saying if you live out righteously, if you're acting righteous, then you're righteous. If you don't live righteously, then you're not righteous. So if you're sinning, you're not a Christian. That's what this is simply saying. You don't need a, a, a seminary training to understand these things in Scripture. It's right there, and John wants us to know this, the eighth verse. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Here, sin is linked with the devil. The devil's disposition is to sin against God. Christ's disposition is to obey God. And the devil actively sins. And if you are sinning, you are the devil's follower, according to this book. And then, according to this verse, so his followers, Satan's followers, would sin and do wickedly. Jesus, however, we're told by this verse, was manifested for the express purpose to destroy the works of the devil, mainly sin. Sin entered the world because of the devil himself. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to give you victory over your own personal sins and to live a godly life. Verse 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. I'm going to read that again. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. This is a pretty clear statement of what the salvation of God does for people, what the salvation of God does for you. His seed here, when it says that for his seed remaineth in him, in that person that doesn't commit sin, his seed, that seed is Christ. Christ dwells in the Christian, and the seed, Christ, remains in us. That tells us that this is a continual state. We are living in a continual state without sin because Jesus is living within us. So the Christian, this says here that that, that person cannot sin because he's born of God. The Christian cannot sin. And you say, are you teaching some sort of sinless perfection that, you know, that it's not possible for us to sin? No. I believe that the, the understanding of this verse would be much like this. Picture a mother. The mother has an infant child. The mother loves this infant child. It's the pride and joy of her heart. Now picture somebody coming to this mother and saying, I want you to hold this baby out at arm's length by the ankles, and I want you to drop this baby. Ultimately, what's going to happen is this helpless child that needs all the assistance the mother gives because it can't fend for itself is about to be dropped, you know, being held upside down by the ankle, dropped on the ground. It's at the very least going to do serious damage to the child, if not kill it. The problem is the mother cannot bring herself to do it. And that, I think, is the, the essence of this verse, is that if you are saved, you cannot bring yourself to sin. You don't want to sin. You have Christ dwelling within you. It's like, I can't sin. I love Jesus. I believe that is what this verse is saying. The possibility of sinning is always there so long as we're here and this world. But because of Jesus living within us, we don't want to sin. We can't sin. I can't sin against this Christ who loves me so much. Verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Again, the clear dividing line. Don't be fooled by those that claim they are Christians, but they don't live that life. 
If you are living in sin, you are not a Christian, according to this verse. Verse 11, for this is the message that we, or that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one, one another. In other words, John's saying, now in this Christ, Christian, Christian dispensation, now that Jesus has died and rose and gone into heaven and we're in the New Testament or the New Covenant, what I'm telling you is not a new message. It's not a new religion. This is the eternal heart of God, that we should love one another, that we should live a victorious life over sin. There's supposed to be true love and fellowship in the body of Christ. The problem in the first century there was these Gnostics, these heretics that are coming in, are teaching something that was totally subverting the gospel and causing division amongst believers where they were starting to fight at one another instead of loving one another. They were causing war in the body of Jesus Christ. And he tells us that we should love one another, verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous works. So when people are angry at the righteous, it is often because they're the, the, righteous's, the righteous people's pure lives are a rebuke to their own sins and wickedness. So they have the heart that's like Cain. When Cain gets the blessing of God and God's smile is on his life, instead of Cain amending his ways, he goes and kills his brother. He's saying, do not love like that. There is a divine love that comes in the heart that's vastly different than this worldly love. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Picking up in verse 13, we read, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. I think sometimes that is the one of the largest dangers to the Christian. Nobody likes confrontation. Nobody likes to be hated. But he's saying, don't be confused. Don't marvel at the fact that the world hates you. In other words, don't try to fit in with the world so that the world likes you and the world becomes your friend. We want to be friends with people and lead them to Christ, but he's saying, don't try and get the pat on the back from the world. If you're a true follower of Jesus, the world will often hate you. That is the stark difference between the believer and the unbeliever. The world will often hate you. So don't be confused when that happens. It's normal to the true Christian life. Verse 14, we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So the test of reality and assurance that you are real is in this verse. And that's what John is trying to do is give his believers assurance. Are you real? Are you walking with God or not? And here's some tests. This is one of them. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So if you hate your Christian brothers and sisters, if you hate, your fellow humans, then by this verse, he's telling us you're already dead. You have made eternal death your continual home. 
he's making it very clear for us. Verse 15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And this is what Jesus taught. If you go to Matthew 5, 21 through 22, Jesus said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So he's saying hating and being angry at somebody is the seed of murder, and no murderer enters heaven. So if you don't love your brother and you hate him, you're a murderer. Verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, Jesus, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. So we shouldn't try to build our own factions and gain a following, a personal following, but we should be a family that lives and sacrifices for one another. That's what he tells us. We're to, we're to be like Jesus. We're to love each other so much that we're willing to lay our lives down for one another. God help us. Verse 17, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So you need to pay your own expenses first. I want to be clear about that. He's saying, whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion. If you're giving away your livelihood and can't take, take, can't take care of yourself or your own family, that's not what God intends here. He that doesn't work, let him not eat. There's also that Bible principle. So there's some people that are too lazy to get a job and they're trying to, you know, take everybody else's money and be a burden to society when they're perfectly able to get a job. God speaks ill of those things. That's not good. It's not right. But if somebody's in real need and you have the, the, the means to be able to help them, but refuse to help them, then this is not what the Christian heart is supposed to be like. We need to have faith with works. We can't just call ourselves a Christian, but then not live it out. That's essentially what he's saying here. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So Christianity makes us live differently. We will have fruits that come out of our lives. We will do good works because of what God has done in us. Verse 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So basically, if we live like John has been saying through this epistle here, doing righteously, not sinning, loving our brothers and sisters and not hating them and causing division, he's saying that can be a source of assurance to you. You don't need the special knowledge out here of all these other people telling you whether or not you're a Christian. He's saying you can tell whether you are if there's been a radical change in your life. If you now have victory over sin and are living righteously and you love other believers, you love your fellow human, your humans, your fellow humanity, you love humanity, then he says that you have that assurance that God has done a real work in your heart. He has changed you. He's radically changed you. So. We don't have to think, man, I wonder if I'm really where I should be because this teacher says this and this teacher says that. He said it comes down to how you live. If God has changed you, you're going to be a radically different person and that can assure your heart before God. But here's, here's something else that comes up in verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. 
sometimes we can have an oversensitive conscience. There's people that, you know, despite what their head may think in their assessment of everything, they seem to just rake guilt to themselves and it can be somewhat destructive and even cause somewhat confusion in their minds. And so he's saying, even if that's your case, he's asking us to test our lives against what he says so that we may be assured that we're in the truth. So even if we feel a certain way, he's saying, wait a minute, step back for a second. Is there a radical change in your life? Do you obey God's commandments and do you love him and want to obey his commandments? Do you love your brother? Do you live above sin? Do you live a life of victory over sin? He said, but listen, even if your heart condemns you because of a false conscience, because of an oversensitive conscience, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. You're not going to be condemned by God solely because you're confused in your own heart. But he's telling us these things so we don't have to be confused. We can know. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. It's far better if we have that knowledge in our head that helps us to know and understand that if our heart doesn't condemn us, then I have confidence toward God. When, I, when we have sky blue assurance, then our prayers will touch heaven and they'll be effective. And we have that confidence to come boldly to God and to, to ask him for things and expect for him to answer our prayers. That ultimately is what John is hoping for. He doesn't want us to live this defeated life. He doesn't want us to live a life with an oversensitive conscience where we have very little confidence in God, but he wants us to know that we're walking with Christ. He wants us to know that we have confidence with God so that we can pray and we can be who God wants us to be and we can then pray and help other people to come to Christ. Verse 21, uh, excuse me, verse 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Prayer becomes real as it was intended to be when we live righteously, when we're not living righteously, he said that God uh, won't hear our prayers if we regard iniquity in our hearts. He's not obligated to listen to us. He oftentimes does because he's merciful, but he's saying we're to live a life without condemnation so that we can be all that God wants us to be. Verse 23, and this is the commandment, his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So this is the sum of what John's been saying throughout this entire epistle, throughout this entire letter. Love God, love his commandments, obey his commandments, love one another. Verse 24, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. So we dwell in God and God dwells in us, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. So we have three witnesses. We have the witness of our actions. We have the witness of our motives, and we have the witness of the Holy Ghost. So I hope this has cleared some things up for you. Maybe you had questions before. If this has cleared up for you some confusion in your mind about what it means to live a Christian life, what it means to be a Christian, do you, you know, am I supposed to be living differently than I am right now? And maybe, maybe God has pointed to you in your heart and you realize, you know what? I'm not quite where I need to be. I really need to get saved. I need to be radically transformed by God. He needs to do something in my heart because what you just said, according to the scriptures, I, I don't, I don't have that assurance because I don't obey God's commandments. I am sinning and I'm doing it regularly. You can have victory. That is the message of the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. You can have victory. 
And maybe you just are confused doctrinally in your mind. If this has helped you and you've been confused there, then I want you to do something about that. Move forward from here. Now you've been given more light. God has helped you to see something along this journey you've been walking on, and you need to move forward. What is the next step then? I want you to call me at 570-362-7782 or email me at gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me, and we can set up a time so that we can meet together, and then I can coach you. I can come alongside you and help you further in your walk with God to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to do is to look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and to like and follow us there. You can get more teaching, more preaching to help you on your journey through those social media channels, and you can connect with others that are going through the the journey that you're going through, that spiritual journey, and it can help you to just keep moving forward and onward in the things of God. And the third thing I want you to do is to tell your friends. Tell your friends about this broadcast. It's on every Sunday at 9 a.m. here on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. And then tell your friends about the social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for God's resistance. And if you can do that, then we can help other people move along in their journey and be all that God wants them to be. Join the resistance. God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.